Lord, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This then is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the satisfaction for our sins. Lord, how thankful we are that we can worship you today, <clears throat> our incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, and as we have been singing about his nature, that he is God of very God, man of very man, the God-man in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is your love gift to us, that we might have forgiveness of sins, uh, the very life of God within us, uh, the knowledge of uh, relationship with you, and the joy of knowing that he walks with us through this life. He protects us, guides us, uh, teaches us, transforms us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And someday, whether he comes again and we are alive to see him, or whether we have passed on and he calls us to himself, uh, we are so thankful that we have an inheritance that is uh, uncorruptible, undefiled, uh, laid for us up in heaven, and that uh, we are waiting for that day when uh, he shall appear, and uh, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, even as he, our wonderful Savior, is pure. Teach us now, Lord Jesus, about yourself. Lead us to worship you in all the fullness of truth. We love you this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we just sang during our praise time the Christmas version of the great hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior. And as far as I know, it's the very first time I've ever sung the Christmas version. And I love that third verse. I've been meditating on it over the last couple of days. And let me share it with you again. Eternal word made flesh was he. The prophet, the promise prophets long to see, Jesus Christ, our mystery, hallelujah, what a savior. And the word mystery really is a perfect word for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, because along with the Trinity, the incarnation of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is indeed a very profound mystery. Now, all of us know that in order to solve a mystery, we need clues revealing facts about the mystery. And this is where the scriptures, the word of God, come in. You see, on our own, we could never fathom the nature of the baby lying in the manger. His true identity would be hidden from us. But when we look at the clues that are found in the scriptures, the mystery is revealed. And today what I want to do is look at one of the clues that is found in the Gospel of John. And if you have a Bible nearby or you can turn on your phone or a tablet, I would encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14 because I want to bring a message on the Incarnation today entitled, Jesus is the Preexistent Word. 
Jesus is the pre-existent Word. And listen to what the Word of God teaches us in this opening chapter of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, no other gospel other than the Gospel of John uses the title, the word for Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves as we come to the fourth gospel and see this for the first time, why is it that John uses this title? Why is it such an appropriate title? Well, in the Old Testament, God's word is connected with God's self-revealing and his activity in the world. For example, in creation. We read, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, Psalm 33, 6. And then in Revelation, we read in Jeremiah 1, 4, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet for the people. And then in the third place, salvation. We read in Psalm 107, 19 and 20, he sent forth his word And he saved them. So as we look at this use of the word in the Old Testament, and now we come to the Gospel of John, what we see is that calling Jesus the word means he is all, and he does all, that the God of the Old Testament is and does. Now, I'm sure it has not escaped your notice that when we read, in the beginning was the word, We know that John is echoing the very first line in the Bible itself, in the beginning God, or Elohim as the Hebrew word is. So putting these two texts together, it's very clear. All that Elohim is and all that Elohim does, the word is and the word does. So the word is the most comprehensible term possible for identifying Jesus as Elohim. Now there's a very fascinating development here. Because in this opening prologue there are six claims about the word that each means something very, very awesome about the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a little bit more here. You see, these words that I've read is a prologue. And the prologue is an introduction to the rest of the Gospel of John. So all that is said here about Jesus as the Word is seen in Jesus as we read the Word. Let me say that again. All that is seen here and said about Jesus as the Word is seen in Jesus as we read the Word. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment how powerful this is. We all know it's one thing to claim something. It's another thing to prove what you claim. 
So, here are the claims in the opening verses about Jesus and the rest of the Gospel of John is the proof that he indeed meets those claims as the Bible declares about him. So let's do three things here this morning. Number one, let's look at the claims for the word. Let's notice the meaning of those claims. And then let's see in the rest of the Gospel of John where are those claims proved so that they are seen in Jesus. All right? So let's begin with claim number one. In the beginning was the Word. Now, as we've said, the beginning here is very clearly the same as the beginning in Genesis 1.1. Sometimes the word beginning means origin, so this is the ultimate origin creation. That the Word already was when creation occurred can mean only one thing. The meaning clearly is He is eternal. Jesus, in his divine nature, had no beginning, and in his incarnation as the God-man, he will have no ending. Now, where do we see this in the Gospel of John? Well, we see it at the end of chapter 1 with Nathanael. Nathanael was one of the very first disciples to meet Jesus, and Jesus already knew him. And you may remember in verse 47, Nathanael says to Jesus, How do you know me? And of course we know the answer. Jesus is omniscient. But then Jesus said this. He said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now I want you to notice something. Notice that Jesus did not say, I knew you were under the fig tree. He says, I saw you miles away. Now, to be able to do that, you would have to be able to be in more than one place at a time. And to be in more than one place at a time means you can transcend space and time. If you can transcend both space and time, you are eternal. No wonder Nathaniel said to Jesus, you are the Son of God. And Jesus said to Nathaniel, do you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? Greater things than these will you see. Now let's notice the second claim. The second claim here in the prologue is the word was God. The word was God. Now obviously the meaning is here is that Jesus is God. And doesn't this follow? We know that the only eternal being is God. Eternality is an attribute of deity. Now I want you to notice not the word was the God. That would mean the word is God and no one else. But the previous line and the following line says the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. So we have two persons who are God. What's going on here? 
Well, this is clearly a statement of the concept of the Trinity. That God is one essence, but he exists in more than one person. The word was God, but John is telling us the word also was distinct from God. There is Father and Son, and later on we will discover also the Holy Spirit, all have the same essential divine nature, but they are three distinct persons, so right away the Trinity has begun to be revealed here. There is one God who exists in three persons. Now where do we see this in the Gospel of John? Well, we see it with Thomas. You remember in uh, John chapter 20 that uh, the disciples were together and Thomas was absent. And Jesus appeared to them following the resurrection. And then they went to Thomas and they said to him, We have seen the Lord. And you remember what Thomas said? I don't believe it. It cannot be. He said, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. A few days later, Thomas was together with the other disciples, and Jesus appeared again. And he essentially said to Thomas, go ahead, Thomas, examine me. Put your finger in my nail prints, put your hand in my side, and be not unbelieving, but be believing. And you remember what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God. Thomas knew only one being controls life and death. That is God. Jesus is alive from the dead. He understood the word was God. Now notice the third claim. The third claim. All things were made through him, verse 3, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now clearly the meaning here is that Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. Everything was made by him, and if we wonder, is anything accepted, John then puts it in the negative. And he says, without him, not anything was made that was made. So everything was created by Jesus. Now, where do we see this in the Gospel of John? Well, I think we see it very clearly in John chapter 2, where we see this wedding at a little town in Galilee called Cana. And it is there that Jesus turned the water into wine. Now, if you do a little search on uh, wine-making requirements, you will discover that wine requires six things. Growing, harvesting, pressing, storing, fermenting, and aging. That's the process, and all of us know that those six things take months and even years for the best Vintage wines. Now here's what is so astounding. In the span of filling jars with water, drawing some out and tasting, the entire process 
was done. Jesus compressed the entire wine-making process into mere moments. He's the creator. If he could speak the world into existence, he could speak water turned into wine through just the process of filling jars, drawing it out, and drinking. He's the creator. By him, all things were made. And then I want you to notice there's a fourth claim here. In him was life, says verse 4. In him was life. Now this means very clearly he's life's origin. Now we have to see as we start to put all this together that it all follows. If he's eternal, then he's God. If he's God, then he's creator. If he's creator, then he's the author of life. Well, again, where do we see this in the Gospel of John? Well, I think we see it very clearly in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. You remember that Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were very dear friends of Jesus. And Lazarus grew sick and died. And after four days, Jesus arrived to console the two sisters. The Bible tells us that the sisters, when Jesus arrived, said that Lazarus was already starting to stink. Think about that. The decay process in his body had already set in, so it is very clear Jesus deliberately delayed, so the reality of death was without question. No one would have questioned. Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus strode into town, and he said to Martha, your brother will live again. And Martha, being a believing Jew who knew the Old Testament, particularly Daniel chapter 12, said, well, I know that he's going to rise again in the last day at the resurrection. But Jesus said, I'm not talking just about that I mean now. And then with a simple command, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And don't miss this. Why the command? Well, Jesus is the word, isn't he? He's the word. And he proved that he is the word, the author of life, by speaking the word. And Lazarus came to life and came out of the tomb. Jesus is life's origin. And then there's a fifth claim here. The fifth claim is that he is the light of men. Verse 4 says, the life was the life of men. Now this obviously means that Jesus is life's way. One of the very first things that God created was light. If you would take some time to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, you would find the word light occurs 13 times in that opening chapter. 
And when light is connected with God, it means three things. Intellectually, light is the truth. Morally, light is holiness. And spiritually, life means, light means new life. So Jesus, as the Word, is life's way. Now I want to ask you this. Where did Jesus succinctly sum all of this up? As the Bible says, the life was the light of men. Where did he succinctly sum that up? Well, John 14, right? Verse 6, where he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was saying that he is the life who is the light of men. Now again, where do we see this in the Gospel of John? Well, I think we see it in John chapter 9 with the blind man. Remember, in the early verses of that chapter, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he encounters this blind man. And he makes some mud with spit. He puts it on the blind man's eyes. And he says to him, go and wash. The man returned, and he was now seeing. And you remember what he said. I was blind... But now I see. Do you know not once in the Old Testament is there ever a miracle of blind eyes from a person congenitally born blind open? Did you also know not in once in recorded history until the time of Jesus is there ever an accurate historical record that somebody's eyes that was born blind were open? So not in all of the Old Testament, nor in all of literature outside of the Old Testament, is a miracle of this magnitude ever recorded. Here's what the rabbis said. They said the opening of blind eyes was so difficult, only God could do it. And Jesus did it to prove he is life's way. He's the word, the life that is the light of men. And then finally, there's a last claim in this prologue. And the last claim is that Jesus is the glory of God. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And then John explains, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the glory of God. The word the Bible is teaching us here in coming to earth shows God's glory. Now we know that God's glory is a reference to his perfections. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. God's glory, then, is his perfections in his Godhead and in his character. And Jesus, according to the word of God, as the word, then, is the glory of God who reveals God's glory to us. Well, where do we see this in John's gospel? Well, I think we see it in chapter 14 with Philip. 
After this wonderful, astounding statement where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. I'm the exclusive way to the Father. Philip says to the Lord, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And that'll be enough for us. We want to see the Father that we believe in. And clearly the disciples are trying to put all of this together about how Jesus relates to the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, have I been so long with you and and you don't understand? He who has seen me has seen the Father. His character, his power, his love, his grace, his teaching, his atonement, his resurrection, his exaltation, it all perfectly reflects the Father's glory because the Word and the Father are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's eternal. He's God. He's creator. He's life's origin. He's life's way. He's God's glory. No wonder We sing, O come, let us adore him. Would you pray with me? Father, the hymn writer got it right when he said to us, and as we sang, Jesus Christ, our mystery. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And we thank you that as we bow before him and declare him the God-man, God incarnate in human flesh, recognizing that The truth of the word of God is an accurate truth because Jesus fulfilled all that he claimed about himself and that the Bible says about him. And yet, Lord, there is a mystery that goes beyond our ability to fully understand because he's the most unique and wonderful person who's ever lived. 
how we thank you at this Christmas time that we come together in a place where the true meaning of Christmas can be explained from your infallible and inerrant word. And we do bow at this season of the year as we seek to do every day of our lives before him that because of his great love and mercy for us, we might love him, serve him, follow him, and live each day of our lives for him. Father, I pray today for anyone who may not know Christ as Savior and Lord, perhaps someone who is listening has never come to the place where they know for sure that they have received him by faith and repentance and been born into the family of God and have been forgiven and given eternal life and made a child of God. And I would just say today, as you are watching by live stream, that if you're not sure that you belong to the Savior and that you would like to become a part of the great family of God, that in repentance, turning from your own way, you might turn to him. Confess to God right where you're at that you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. All these claims that we have just talked about, that he went to the cross and died for you, that he rose again, that he's alive today and can offer you forgiveness of sins and life evermore if you will place your trust in him. And I invite you to do that now. And if there's some way we here at Bethel Baptist Church in Marquette, Michigan can help you in your walk with the Lord or questions you may have about how you can know him, please feel free to contact us. We're so delighted you've joined us this morning. And so, blessed Savior, it's in your name and for your sake that we pray. Amen.